The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the gram, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to another episode of the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we have got on a filmmaker. He has recently been working on a project called The Woke Reformation, and this is Travis Brown. Welcome to the show. Hi, Zuby. Thanks so much for having me on. How are you? Travis? Yeah, I'm doing great, man. Always doing great. So I've done a brief intro there, man, but tell people who you are and a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So as you said, I'm Travis, Travis Brown. Um, I'm currently living in Oregon. I've lived there for about 17 years or so. Uh, it's kind of, at least Portland is one of the woke capitals of the world. So it's been interesting making this series while, uh, you know, living kind of in the epicenter of all this stuff. It's It made me move from where I was living pretty close to downtown Portland when the riots kicked off in 2020. And and maybe this is something we can get into, but I was I was disabled for a long time, for years, because I had crippling pain in my back and I was pretty much living in my bed. Um, but I was still committed to making films and, and I really wanted to make something on the sort of woke explosion um, that was happening all around us, especially me. And um, yeah, and then there were just people parking on my street with protest signs and helicopters over my, you know, apartment and just, you know, people took over the bridge and then they started taking over downtown and it was just insane. And Antifa was everywhere. And, and so I, I moved right before I released this series to a kind of a safer place. Um, But uh, yeah, I made the series in large part because I, I had lived in Portland for quite a while and there was just, there was something akin to what I had grown up with. I grew up in a fundamentalist religious home. It was very strict, um, very ultra conservative and just, just very restrictive and a lot of black and white thinking, a lot of fundamentalist thinking. And I started to see kind of the same mentality, just in a, a different set of beliefs, but the same mentality in group out group thinking, you know, demonizing anyone who doesn't agree uh, in Portland and in Seattle where I lived as well. And I just saw a very kind of religious nature to this ideology that was unfolding in the streets as well as online and just in my interpersonal relationships. And I really wanted to 
document what was going on. And I was, you know, had been friends with Peter Bogosian for a while and filmed him and James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose when they came through Portland. And so I was kind of aware of, you know, some of the origins of these ideas, what would be called critical social justice. Um, and yeah, that just spurned me on to, uh, to make a series about it. I hear that. What's the timeline of when you started to notice the rise of what you would call the woke ideology? I didn't call it the same thing back then, but it was probably like it was it certainly took off when Trump was uh, running and then elected. But even before that, I, I just noticed a lot of the same, as I mentioned before, just the same kind of like fundamentalist thinking like, oh, if you don't agree with us, you must be bad. All the Republicans, they're evil. I, I don't really consider myself a Republican or a Democrat. I'm just somewhere in the middle. I just don't really prefer the labels. Um, but I, but it just, I just noticed there was a it was hard to deviate from the party line. Um, and this is probably back in, you know, I noticed it as early as 2012. Um, you know, there was like the Wall Street protests, uh, I think you, a little before that. And it was really around then that I started to notice that that way of thinking, that kind of dogmatic thinking. And then it just got worse and worse. And then when Trump was elected, it got way worse. And there were, there were riots and, you know, arson and things in the street, even back in 2016, 2017, before 2020. Um, so it just kind of elevated and, and elevated and rose and rose and rose. And, and I had the idea to make the series back in 2019. Um, but then I, I got funding funding and I think it was late 2020. So that's when I started to, to start writing and start filming and everything. I hear that. And I think when we're talking about these ideas and ideologies, I, you know, my listeners will certainly be familiar with them for the most part. But I know you talk about this in your, is it, would you call it a series or a documentary, The Woke Reformation? Yeah, docu-series, yeah. Docu-series, okay. Um, in that, you go into the history of some of these ideas, because we're talking about stuff happening in the last decade. A lot of people, if you live in the modern Western world, particularly the Anglosphere, it's the past decade where this stuff has really gotten weird and come off the hinges. I tend to say it's really kicked off in the mainstream in 2012 and then accelerated very yeah. heavily in 2015. You talk about the origins of this because I think the average person doesn't realize, even the people who advocate these causes, oftentimes don't realize how many decades these ideas actually go back in terms of their sort of foundations. Right. So can you give people uh, an overview of, number one, what does woke even mean in the way that people understand it now but what's the origin of these ideas where did these ideas come from sure um yeah it is the point that you made about people not necessarily knowing where these ideas have come from and they've just absorbed them and then proliferate them is is really fascinating i mean it's it's sort of like it's sort of like being being a good Muslim or a good Christian, but not having really read the Bible or the Quran, and just espousing the ideas that you know a person's church or mosque or whatever tells them. Although in this case, there is no central place that people go and learn this, except I guess except for the university and now social media. Um, 
so it's interesting. Uh, the, this religion, if you want to call it that, is much more disorganized and there is not quite the same kind of hierarchy that you see in traditional religions. But you do have this kind of priestly class of people like Judith Butler and Ibram X. Kendi. And, and then before that, you have people like you know, Mar- Herbert Marcuse, who's a neo-Marxist. You have the postmodernists that heavily, I mean, their ideas are everywhere in terms of being really the foundation for this stuff. Uh, but just to pick up on, you you asked what woke means. I mean, it originally just meant to be awakened to injustice. And it was, uh, you know, came from black American culture, this idea of being woke or awakened to racial injustice. But it's sort of spread to mean being awakened to any kind of prejudice or any kind of injustice, societal injustice, systemic injustice. And, you know, some people still occasionally use that. I actually saw on, on Twitter the other day, someone was using that to refer to themselves. Um, and nowadays it's usually more used often by conservatives as, you know, a jab, like, oh, you know, these people are woke and it's, it has a much more negative connotation, but some people still do use it in the original sense. Um, now, unfortunately, it's often just conflated with anything that's not conservative, anything that's liberal or progressive is woke, which I, I wouldn't really agree with. I think there's, for me, it's a particular strain of thought that's based on largely neo-Marxism mixed with postmodernism, and the postmodern concepts um, are really ideas like you know, language creates our reality. That's where we get these ideas of like my truth and your truth and this uh, subjective vision of the truth where anyone can have, you know, that's where this idea of lived experience comes from, um, which is kind of a a weird, redundant phrase if you think about it. Um, But it it just gives power to the idea of a personal anecdote or, you know, personal experience. But, you know, the postmodernists were heavily interested in language and how language can affect the way we think. And some of them even went so far as to say the language creates the reality that that we interact with. And so there's there are a lot of people like Kimberly Crenshaw in the 80s and 90s that took aspects of postmodernism and then infused them with this more social justice uh, activism in the universities. And then again, there are strains of, of neo-Marxism because it, now it's, it's no longer so much about class, uh, you know, a class struggle. It's really more about these identity groups that are clashing and struggling. And the more marginalized the identity category that you happen to be in, the more you happen to be oppressed. So it's still about, it still takes that key Marxist concept of the oppressor versus the oppressed, but it just, it changes it from class to identity, any kind of identity that you can think of, whether it's a disabled, you know, disabled person, uh, a fat, you know, fat person uh, who's very overweight and healthy, or you know, a, a black person or per- person with dark skin color, or whatever possible identity people can use to say is oppressed or marginalized. That's really kind of used almost as a battering ram against the system, you know, the capitalist system. So it's really interesting when you start learning about this stuff and you start seeing the same kind of language all over the place. And it, and it always comes down to like a hatred of capitalism. And, and then they use, you know, justice with, with everything, environmental justice, climate justice. You know, it, it's amazing. Um, it's and it's kind of funny, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It, it's interesting when. You know, like I said, given the fact that I, I know for for sure that the majority of people espousing these ideas have not, uh, you know, read Foucault or Derrida right. or perhaps even Ar- Ar- Alinsky or Marcuse, all the all the people who have even the you know a lot of them probably haven't even read Kimberly Crenshaw and this and this and right. it's it's fascinating 
I find it interesting when people repeat certain words and phrases and terminology and ideas, despite the fact that they don't even know where they came from. Yeah. That's something that I find really fascinating because you really see it. There's certain, you've, you've mentioned a few of them and there's certain words or phrases and when someone uses them, let, let alone uses them in combination, it's like, okay, I know what I'm dealing with here. I'm hearing his truth, her truth, my truth, uh, live my, my lived experience, right. uh, patri- patriarchy, right. white supremacy, um, you know, people of color, this BIPOC that like, as soon as I hear all what, what, the more of that terminology I hear, I'm just like, oh gosh, oh gosh. Okay. I'm dealing with someone who is not thinking they're just repeating they're repeating the script. And it's also interesting because they don't, they themselves don't even question if some of those terms make sense. For example, you said lived experience, right? The lived is total, the lived is totally redundant. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So if someone even uses that term, I'm like, why are you saying like you, I'm like, you learned that from somewhere because no one, I remember the world prior to 2010 and I never used to hear the term lived experience. Now I hear it all the time. For sure. I never used to see the term BIPOC or Latinx, or even growing up, I never, even growing up, I never heard the term people of color, POC, let alone an abbreviation of it, right? No one. And so this terminology, like I said, it's existed for a while, but it's been mainstreamed in this past decade. And people are just kind of repeating and repeating and repeating these phrases. And I'm like, do you even know what that, do you know what that means? Do you know where that comes from? Have you taken a moment to go, okay, wait, hang on. Does this, does this really make sense and do i have this idea or does this idea have me yeah yeah for sure and they're often if you do poke and prod and ask some questions they're often not always but often really fragile and don't want to don't want to have conversations about that they haven't thought about the epistemology or how they know what they know it's just they've just absorbed it and there's an interesting key mechanism to deflect any kind of inquiry epistemological inquiry or questioning which is well that and rationality and the scientific method and objectivity are all you know white male western constructs so we don't engage in that <laughs> i mean it's it's an amazing hermetically sealed you know enclosed bubble of, of a worldview that just cannot be you just can't really get through it unless someone's actually willing to have a conversation and actually willing to put aside some of the some of the absurdities but you know um, unfortunately, often they aren't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a deep level of intolerance that comes with it, which is another part of the thing that's very fascinating. I'm amazed by the constant inversions of everything, right? So the people who are claiming to be love diversity and promote diversity, but actually they hate any type of ideological or belief system diversity. Right. They claim to be pro-inclusion. You'll never find a more exclusive group, <laughs> exclusive totally. group of people. Uh, they claim to be tolerant, but they're deeply intolerant to the point of being willing to use and advocate and condone physical violence against people. Uh, right. You know, they'll say that words are violence, but violence itself is not violence. It's like they just invert, they, they, they've inverted everything. And that's the part that I find, I mean, I know that a lot of people do see through it. You know, most people are not on board with all of this stuff to the degree that activists are. But I I think what's, it's interesting because in a way, if I kind of like tap into my dark side, I can understand how these ideas are kind of like appealing in a way, uh, Mm -hmm. because I think they play a lot on human envy and resentment 
and jealousy and tribalism. But there, it's also really goofy. Like there, there's this silliness. <laughs> there's a silliness to it all. Like the whole thing would be extraordinarily funny if it were not so destructive and divisive. You, you kind of see what right. I mean? Like some of the totally. ideas, I'm just like, come on, man. Like, what do you mean? Math is right. Like math is racist. Like, stop. right. You know, it's just it's right. silly. Healthy at every size. Yeah. Yeah. It's goofy. They're, they're very silly ideas. They're not like well thought through ideas no. of like, oh, actually, okay. Yeah, I can, you know, I'll, I'll, maybe some, maybe some elements of it, but maybe they've kind of just jumped the shark at this point and they've taken it to a really, a really silly level. Yeah. Yeah. I know you mentioned not too long ago, something about being past peak woke. And I, and I hope that you're right. I hope that's true. Um, I think you're right that, you know, most people don't believe to the same level that activists do. Um, but what, what I find still disturbing is how many of these ideas have proliferated and how many, like you said before, like how many people say the words lived experience or how many people will use certain concepts and ideas from this ideology without realizing it and maybe without having bought into it entirely but it's it's been so successful in in uh spreading through universities and through the media and now through the government etc through k through 12 even that um so many people adopt at least one or two of these ideas or several of these ideas without even realizing it without being cognizant that uh, of the fact that they're doing that and so i think to uproot that and to really like shed it's just a lot of layers to shed, and I think it will take time to mm. do that if it if it ever really happens. They've just been so good at manipulating words. Some of their ideas are crazy and silly and are easier to reject, but some of them, like, you know, uh, I mean, we all know what Antifa is like, but if but that but that idea has so much weight behind it for so many people still. This idea that oh well, Antifa just means anti-fascist. You know, Black Lives Matter just means that Black Lives Matter, right? Like the the way that they can have constructed these words and, and even lived experience, like that, it just sounds heavier, like weightier. It sounds more important than personal anecdote, you know. And so they just they've been able to construct a lexicon that has fooled a lot of people and still fools people, unfortunately. Um, but that's, so that's one of the things that I'm trying to do in the series is just help people understand, like, these ideas aren't what they, what they claim them mm -hmm. to be, like diversity, like inclusion, like all of these things, they often mean the opposite. Yes. And so I, do, I think it's important to educate people about that, um, you know, hopefully in an entertaining way that it sticks with them and they can tell other people and these ideas can can spread and, and people can then start to counter them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think there's the understanding component. First of all, I think the biggest barrier I talk about it all the time. I do genuinely think that the biggest barrier is fear. It's mm. fear. People yeah. are people are afraid. Most people are most people are pretty sane. You know, most right. people are not extremists of either end. Most people are not radical. Most people kind of want pretty normal, sane stuff in, in the world, whether you consider yourself centrist or right-leaning or left-leaning, conservative, liberal, whatever. Like 90, 95% of people are just somewhere in that central-ish way, you know? Um, and I think that the problem is that the sane the sane center and the sane left and the sane right, if you even want to use these terms, um, most people are afraid. Most people yeah. are afraid. I think a lot of the power of the activist types and the people who are like, you know, the small percentage who are real diehard for this ideology is that they've managed to browbeat people, right? They've right. managed to frighten so many people who actually 
do have questions about it or are not in favor of it or directly oppose it or whatever, but because they have these weapons of the isms and the phobias, right, calling people racist, sexist, white supremacist, uh, homophobic, right. transphobic, whatever, the average person does not want to be, people don't, well, no one wants to be called those things, but the yeah. average person is very hurt and gets very defensive when being called those things, perhaps not realizing or that they're, these are just being used as weapons, right? They're not, right. Uh, these are not genuine accusations of someone really believing that you're a hateful bigot or you're truly a Nazi or you're truly a fascist. How many, how many Nazis and fascists are out there? How many fascists have you really met in your life? You know what I mean? Like these are not, right. but they're, they're these sort of straw men. But I think that most people, you know, most people are just working their jobs and whatever. They're not trying to deal with all this mess. And, you know, one of the worst things you can be called in us, in our society is, you know, a racist, right? Like that's one yeah. of the, it's, it's a, it's a serious, it's a serious charge. Maybe it wouldn't have been a hundred years ago. Um, it's, so it's almost like, a, it's almost like as a result of, of the progress that's been made, um, some of these things can be weaponized more, right? If so, totally. I, it, the thing I find really insidious about it and why I find these, you know, a lot of these activists, a lot of people think that a lot of these activists are acting in, in, in good faith and that they genuinely, I, I don't, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I'm not talking about the average person who's just kind of gone to college or whatever and has soaked some of this stuff up. But the right. people who are out, the people who are out there on the streets, the people who are screaming at people and fighting and what I, I, I do not think these people are driven by. I don't think they're driven by good motives at all. I don't. I've interacted with enough of them to to be like, no, nah, like you know, if you're the ones, if you're willing to beat people in the street or you're willing to like just scream and cuss, like, no, nah, you're not. You're not sure. a good guy in this situation. Um, yeah, but, but I, I yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think it, I think. Often you're right. I think it's complex. So, you know, if you look at like the profiles of some of the people that um, were on the street and were causing mayhem and hurting people, like some, many of them are mentally ill, you know, and, and groups like Antifa, uh, many of them are mentally ill. And so, you know, and so you, I think it's complex. Like, I think there are some true believers who really have been brainwashed. You think they're really fighting actual fascists. Like they really think that and they're really, you know, willing to use violence because, you know, I mean, that's what that's what we had to do in World War Two. Right. So, you, so there are those people who actually believe that. Then there are the more cynical people who who just hate capitalism or they they're just bummed about their life because they're just not successful in any way. And they go into the street and they just take it out on other people. And then, you know, you, you have a mixture of people who are mentally ill and or drug addicted or whatever. It was really interesting to see how many like homeless people have been um, kind of corralled into this cause, you know, especially mm. in Portland. Um, so it's a really odd and interesting, chaotic mixture of, of people. Um, but, but you're right. There are many people who, who are just out to cause chaos and may I, mayhem, mm -hmm. you know, and cause harm. But I definitely think it's a mixture. A mixture. Yeah, I, th I think there is a mix, but even with that first category, I, you know, I, I have certain heuristics and you know, one of my heuristics is that if, you know, if you're willing to use violence against peaceful people, you're the bad guy. Sure. Sure. You, you know what I mean? Like if you, sure, if, you if you've, you've got your belief or whatever, but no matter, like I have, I have, I have some beliefs that are, you know, very, you know, strong and firm. And I, I believe this thing, but there's a line, like I would never, I'm not going to use, I would not use nor condone physical violence, hurting, beating, killing someone right. to, because I think I'm right and they're wrong. Like they haven't, 
we're not even ta- we're not talking self-defense we're not talking oh someone hits you you hit them back we're talking okay sure. someone is just there with an idea in their head whether they truly believe it or not right, right? even if th- th- and this is the truth right even if someone actually were a nazi someone actually had that belief system right if they if they are not if they are not out there you know hurting people or whatever they just have this thing in their head like they're truly truly racist right but it's just in their head no you don't have a right to go and assault them right <laughs> right someone's yeah. gonna take this you know zuby defends nazis or whatever but like <laughs> if people are allowed to have bad thoughts like people are allowed to actually believe bad things if you act on it and you go right. out there and you do that that's a different story right that's when people can you know d- defend themselves but if someone's just like oh that person is standing there but he has bad thoughts in his head right okay so that means it's okay to assault him it's like no that's that's an assault like you're again yeah. you're the you're the one who's taking that line so when I when I see people who are willing to do that and condone that I'm just like all right well you know you may believe what you believe and truly believe it but you know you're the you're the bad guy in this situation yeah yeah I remember as much as I disliked perhaps even loathe Richard Spencer I remember yeah being pretty concerned about someone just punching him in the back of the head when he's giving an interview and then not not so much just that, but then the reaction to it, especially yes. from a lot of people I know who say, well, he's a Nazi. You know, we all punch Nazis. That's you know, that's the thing that we do. And we were all, you know, those of us concerned about this are thinking, well, you can call anyone a, a Nazi. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then Andy No got attacked. Right. Andy mm-hmm. No is a Nazi. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and and that word is just th- I mean, then that word is just thrown around to attach to anyone you don't like. And then you can just use violence against them. So it's yeah. it is a slippery slope. Uh, as a lot of us warned back then. And um, yeah, it's very disturbing. It's, yeah. it's really concerning that people what, are willing what, to go to that length. What, what's it like? What, what's Portland actually like? It's actually one of the, I, I've been to a lot of the U S but I haven't, I haven't actually been to Portland before. It's, uh, it's one of those places where honestly the, my view of it is, is probably very biased and tainted just because every time I hear about it, it's, it's the kind of crazy, it's the crazy stuff. It's never, you know, something sure. sane and positive what's it what's it actually like there and how is it how's it changed perhaps even in the time you've been there yeah i mean you know i've been there for like i said over a decade and a half it it was it was lovely you know people were really nice to each other and lots of great food i mean great hiking great a lot of outdoor spaces and um you know a lot of a lot of artists a lot of that sort of thing but i think slowly and slowly people's sense of morality got hijacked and they more and more people started to be on board with more and more radical ideas. I mean, something close to a third of the populace wanted to defund the police and they did. They removed $14 million from the police and they got rid of the gun violence reduction team. Guess what happened? Gun violence went up. Mm -hmm. Wow. Who could have fucking guessed that? (laughs) You know, it's just, it was, it's just, it's maddening. You know, it's maddening. I moved out of the city to a much quieter, safer neighborhood. Um, and whenever I go into Portland, I still see homeless encampments, you know, all over the place. It's just, it's just really gone downhill. Um, they've tried to clean up downtown a bit. Um, but you know, they're, they still find any reason they can to riot Antifa and and those types of of people, Mm -hmm. you know, like when the abortion, um, act happened or when someone gets murdered by police or killed by the police or whatever in a different city, they'll just, they always find a reason to cause mayhem. And, um, 
you know, just in general, the, the city infrastructure, the leaders are terrible. Um, it's just, and now like, I just, I, I feel uncomfortable just walking around the city. I wow. just don't part, you know, you see people shooting up. That's part of it. You see people, you know, homeless people everywhere, but then also just, just the people in general. I mean, just knowing that a third of the people wanted to defund the police and there were, you know, thousands of people in the streets marching. Some of them obviously came from Seattle and other places, but still so many people were either joined in in doing it or condoned it or mm. were, were quiet and didn't speak out against it. Um, or didn't even like there are people that live in Portland that still don't know like how bad it got and they thought it was only you know a, a block or two downtown that was destroyed which is just not true I mean it, it was they were all over the place so you know some of the stories are certainly true <laughs> yeah I'll say that yeah well, but what what changed I mean I'm assuming you moved there in the mid mid thousands maybe 2005 ish yeah. something like that so I don't know when when I think of 2005, it doesn't seem that long ago. Like what changed? Yeah. So what was the catalyst of this change in this under 20 year span, which right. has caused millions of people to, you know, or even for a city that was previously pleasant. I've heard, I hear people say the same thing about places like San Francisco, right? Uh, Seattle, like what is it? I don't know. It's interestingly, there's, these are all on the West coast, but yeah. What I don't know. What is it that changed? I, I'm also asking curiously as a, as a non-American, as, sure. as a British guy, like what is it that changed so drastically that yeah, has well, caused that? I, I think there were always kind of the seeds of this uh, in the more progressive cities, in the more liberal cities that are much more tolerant of new experimental ideas. Um, I think it's just, it's much easier. I think Douglas Murray has talked about this, that conservatives have more of a natural bulwark against new ideas that could be harmful. Um, so that that's a key part of it. Um, you know, part, part of what changed is, you know, the, the proliferation of the iPhone and social media. And um, I think that's a huge part of it. I think that's a huge part of, allowing these ideas that were germinating in universities and then sort of more obscure academic circles with, you know, Herbert Marcuse and Michel Foucault and all these people, like those ideas were out there and you can find, you know, in the early 2000s, in the nineties, you can find people talking about, you know, systemic racism and lived experience and all these things that are now everywhere. They were much more obscure then. And in part, those ideas have spread because of social media and these people getting these platforms that then, you know, push that out everywhere. And another interesting thing, again, it has to do with the smartphone is that any, anywhere, anyone can be a reporter. They can, they can now film any injustice. Um, so anyone, anywhere in the world can do this and, and anywhere, anyone, anywhere, anywhere in the world can see it. And so even though, you know, as Steven Pinker and Hans Rosling and other people have, have shown, you know, violence has declined and we've progressed in so many, so many ways. But if people had cell phones and social media, let's say a hundred years ago, it would have been utter mayhem. Like the internet would have been insane <laughs> to see how violent people were and how horrible things were. But now that we, we can see that and we can see one instance of that and our moral sensitivity, I think is heightened. So we're just aghast whenever we see any, any terrible thing as we should, as we should be. I think that, that's understandable. Um, but we have what I think Pinker called a false sense of insecurity. And because of that, 
we think that that well, you know, thousands of unarmed black people are being killed by the police, and you know, people. Uh, Anyone who's lesbian or gay is just is being attacked or killed, or you know, anyone who's trans is being killed every day. You know, and we get these deranged statistics um, in part because we have kind of a mismatch from what's actually happening for the day-to-day person and then what we see online. Um, so that really, I think, skews our perspective, and in part as a result, uh, you know, people are up in arms about it. You know, they want to do something, they want to solve the problem because they think it's everywhere and it's just so bad. And they don't stop to think about like, well, how often actually does it happen? They don't mm-hmm. stop to read the FBI statistics or, you know, the Washington Post statistics of how many unarmed people are actually killed by the police and are they really unarmed or are they driving a car into a cop or stealing a cop's gun and they're classified as unarmed. So there's just a lot of information that people don't have. And I think their their view of reality just gets drastically skewed and they end up in the street, you know, marching or rioting or whatever. Yeah, I think you're totally right on that. And it's interesting. Like I'm, I get it. And maybe this is my personality type. Like I'm, I'm not that sympathetic towards it Hmm. because I think past a point, ignorance is a choice, right? Mm. Espe- especially in this day and age. I mean, not, not yeah. you know, a hundred years ago, getting access to certain information or stats or data, like it, sure. it was hard, but like you're literally, and pe- people are one minute away from certain narratives or beliefs that they have. Say you're someone who believes that the police kill 10,000 unarmed black men a year in the USA, right? Completely, right. like stupidly off, like off by a mag- magnitude of a thousand, Yeah. right? Um, but say, say you believe that and what, like, check it, <laughs> right? Like, like, dude, like it's, it's not hard to verify. Okay. What's the actual number, right? right? So before I go out there in the street and I start burning people down and I start like, I start rioting and fighting and throwing bricks and doing whatever and holding onto this for years and years and years, why don't I actually see, okay, wait, what's, what's, what's the number, right? Okay. This is what I feel. This is what the media is sort of telling me, but let me just see, uh, you know, and so th- that's the thing. And there's so many, we, we, there's never been more and quicker and easier access to this information, yeah. which is why after a certain amount of time, I'm like, okay, well, whether someone is malicious or they're doing something very destructive because they're just, you know. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Ignorant in a way that they don't need to be. The result is the result often ends up being the same thing, right? Mm. So sometimes people get start splitting hair about, you know, is, is it malice or is it ignorance or is it? And I'm like, well, it doesn't really matter if you're burning down a building, you're burning down a building, right? If you're yeah. punching people in the street, you're punching the people in the street. The same. Yeah. And that, that excuse of like, it's like, well, I have access to this information. You have access the millions of other people have it. Right. We all have access to this info, the same, the same device, which you're getting the info of all that other stuff from is the same way you can also access all of that. So is it that you just don't want to, or maybe you know that what you're saying is not really true, but you want to keep, I I, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm finding it harder and harder to excuse certain levels of certain levels of ignorance on certain things. Cause it's, especially when it has such real, such real consequences. Like these, this is not a, if there, there's certain incorrect beliefs or incorrect data or stats that someone may think are true and it doesn't actually it has real world impacts because there's certain narratives that are going on on out there i don't know we saw it in the last couple of years right if someone believes that the mortality rate of someone getting c19 is is 20 percent, right mm-hmm. if, if someone if you believe that that has real consequences because the right. things that people advocate and the policies and the behaviors and the way even people were treating each other or whatever i was like this this the the disproportionality um, right. can get very very extreme, or you're you're actually trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist, or maybe the problem is over there, but you're trying to solve this thing. I yeah, don't know. yeah. Well, I think you you nailed it when you said that a lot of the motivation is fear. I would also say it's it's certainly fear, and I think there's also a kind of of uh, faith that goes along with believing some of those statistics um, because they can offload responsibility, not, not to God in this case, but to the collective, uh, whether it's the social media collective, their friend group, um, you know, MSNBC, NPR, whatever. I mean, that's the thing is that all of these news sources have been captured by this ideology. They spread this information as if that, that is the real data. Um, And so it, I can still understand some people being totally skewed in their worldview. Understanding it doesn't mean that I'm not fed up with it. It doesn't yeah. mean that it's not dangerous and annoying. And I'm, you know, I'm also mm-hmm. feeling done with it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but at the same time, I guess the the reason to understand is is then to equip us to handle it better. Like mm-hmm. what it, you know, what is the best method? to change people's minds, to move people in the right direction. And that's, that's really complicated, but, but I do think an, an element of it is, well, I don't, I don't need to look that up because I heard it from a reputable source. So I don't mm-hmm. need to look at that up because 
whether or not, whether or not they think this way consciously, I do think that that it, there's an element of faith and fear that goes into just accepting whatever the narrative is, whether it's about COVID-19 or Black Lives Matter or whatever, uh, trans people, whatever it is, they just, they just absorb it. They believe it. They don't need to question it. Mm-hmm. And they just move on with this, you know, narrow worldview. And that's, that's the frame for how they understand reality and interact with reality. And it does have real world, world consequences. Um, you know, and some of those people aren't, are unreachable. Like they'll just scream and shout. And yeah. those people as, you know, like John McWhorter has talked about in his book, woke racism, we just have to accept that those people exist and move on. We just have to move on from them. But then there are people at like lower rungs of the belief whose minds can change. And yes. I think that's important to remember. I think it's important to remember that we shouldn't just write off everyone who espouses oh, yeah, for sure. some of these beliefs. Um, for sure. And yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, I, I think, when, when, where I certainly attribute attribute malice is with, say, the powers that be, mm. right? The media, the cor- the corporate media, yeah. the politicians, they know that they know the truth. They know that black people are not being genocided by police, <laughs> but, but but they'll say but they'll say it anyway. Yeah, right. Knowing the division that that causes, knowing how much it jacks people up, knowing that it makes it more likely people. That's to me. I'm like that's hundred percent malicious to me. Like if I'm like, mm-hmm. there's no way on earth. That the president of the United States or some governor or mayor of a, of a state or a city doesn't actually know what some of these statistics are and what the reality is with what it, but they, they see the political clout in it. And so they just say it anyway. Yeah. That's that, that's the part where I'm like, it, it, I think it's extraordinarily irresponsible. It's dishonest, firstly. And right. the thing is, you, you don't need to, you know, if you truly wanted to solve some of these problems, like, let, you know, let's take, you know, take the topic of uh, police brutality, like actual police brutality or unjust police killings of, of citizens. Right. Um, mm-hmm. If you truly wanted to actually improve the situation, I believe you would tell the truth. Right. You'd be mm-hmm. you'd be honest about the situation. Say, look, here's the stats. Here's the data. This is not something that just happens to black people or it just, you know, right. more, like th- this. These are the stats. Here's the data. This is what it is. Everyone agrees across the spectrum. There's nobody who's pro police brutality. There's nobody who wants right. more. It, you see what I mean? Right. There's yeah. actually a lot of things to unite people here. Totally. I've never heard anybody, whether progressive, conservative, left, right, whatever, say, oh, you know what? We the problem is we need we need more police brutality. We need <laughs> no, right. right. Everyone wants that number to come down. But yep. when you start dividing people along it on something they should be united by when you make it a black and white issue when you make it about you know racism and this and that and now you've got people screaming at each other about whether you should say black lives matter or all lives matter i'm like y'all are lost right yeah. like this con yeah. you're, you're you're debating completely the wrong thing the conversation right. should be about uh you know how police interact with community it should be about standards it should be about training uh, right it should be about pro like that's where the conversation yeah, potentially, right? Yeah. I, I, that that that's what it should be, but instead it's just these silly little narratives and people would rather score points than solve the problem. And I see this in so many things. It's like, right. are you trying to are you trying to be helpful and actually get to a solution or do you want to just beat the opposite team? Do you are you just trying to score points and dunk or right. would you like to resolve the issue? And I very much see a lot of the former. I'm like, look, y'all are not serious about actually trying to prevent these incidents from happen, happening. Because if you were, this is not how, th- this is not the conversation and behavior you, you'd be doing. Right? And it happens again and again and again and again. Right. And I'm just like, I've seen this repeat, I don't know, at least 20 times in the past decade. And I'm like, look, man, I, I kind of shrug my shoulders. And I'm like, 
man, like that kind of sucks because this is a solvable problem. Yeah. Um, but it won't be solved unless people want to be, be adults and actually, you know, put the, put the partisanship aside and say, okay, look, like, how do we, how do we greatly reduce the, the chance of these type of situations happening, whether it's a, it's a Tyree Nichols or it's a George Floyd or it's a Tony Tempa right. or it's a Daniel Shaver or all these other, all the names, right? The ones right. people know and the ones people don't know. How do you, some of those situations, it's like that should not happen, right? Like it's, it's, it's awful. You're just like, how on earth are those people police officers? That should not happen. But sure. instead it's like, oh, where is a, you know, was it racism or was it? I'm just like, man, it's, like, <laughs> it's tiring. Even with the Tyree Nichols situation, man, it's so frustrating. It's like a right. black man killed by five black police officers, yeah. in a mostly black police force. And the conversation is, oh, were they driven by racism? I'm White like, stop. Man. Like, it's, it's, you know what? I, this is what I mean. It's just like, yeah. stop, man. This is so yeah. silly. Just stop. Like, let's let's have the real convo. Right. No, I totally agree. And I think you're right that that's where for some people, some of that that malice comes in because you know you had all these people saying and still saying abolish the police abolish the prisons and and you know some saying defund the police and then when you try to talk to people about this and say well th there really are these activists this abolitionist movement that wants to get rid of the police and even the prisons that's insane right where they're like well that's not what they really mean what they really mean is diverting resources and giving it to the poor and and you're like okay well you know some people mean that sure but then there are other people who really want to abolish the police. I mean, there are books mm -hmm. written about it. There are articles about it. There are people on camera saying these things. And then when you try to talk to people who are in this liberal space, they just, they give them more credence and say, well, they don't really, I mean, that's crazy, right? They don't really mean that. Uh, but they, but they do. I mean, yeah. there's a certain percentage of them who really just yeah. want to, again, it comes down to, it's, it's so interesting how it comes down to this, this hatred of capitalism and this love for this idealized vision of socialism. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a lot of what the battle comes down to, which is really interesting when you start reading it a little bit more and you know read a lot of Thomas Sowell and and um, and it just it just becomes clearer and clearer that it's just about that kind of battle between this socialist idealized vision of humanity and the one where we have these constraints that we have to deal with that we need to uh, to you know re restrict our base our impulses and try to live harmoniously and do whatever we can to do that. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's two different idealized, it's an idealized conception of how we can change humanity for the better. And then we don't need the police then. And, you know, everything will just be fine versus this idea of, well, we all have inherent flaws and we need to just work with them the best that we can. Yeah. Um, so it, it's interesting when you start to see it that way and see how it kind of falls in between those two camps. Mm. It, it, there's something extraordinarily cynical about it as well, because, you know, number one, so many of the people advocating the abolish the police nonsense, you know, none of those people live in the areas and in the communities that would right. be affected by such a thing. Right. That's the first part. It's this sort of luxury belief. And then also, if you poll the people who do live in those areas, right, right. like primarily, you know, more, more, uh, you know, areas with fewer white people, areas that are, you know, more minority heavy per se, those people want more policing. The problem is that their community's not safe. The vast majority of people who live in inner city areas or whatever are are not criminals and are law abiding people who just want to have decent schools and have 
enough to eat and have safe communities. And the, totally. the truth is, if you if you think practically, if you want people to genuinely even invest in some of these lower income communities, they have to be safe. First of all, they have to be made safe because no sane entrepreneur or investor is going to want to build even a shop in a place where they don't even think it's safe to have a shop because there's people going to be shoplifting or jacking their store or, or whatever it is. So right. for the first, the sort of base layer is safety. And yeah, it would be it would be lovely if there were no human sin and we could live in some you know, right. magical utopia where right. criminals where criminals don't exist. We, we would all like that. But right. it's just it's just not the reality. There are predatory people out there. And if you remove the checks and the guards against predatory behavior, then you get more predatory behavior. It's not it's totally. not rocket science. Um, even if someone believed in theory, some of these ideas you can see in practice, it doesn't work because you they literally tried it. It's like, OK, let's defund the police and see what happens. And oh, violent crime levels go up. Shoplifting goes up. Robberies go right. up. And so so, you know, even if someone's in someone's poor line of thinking, they thought it would work. It's like, well, OK, it was tried. It didn't work. So let's let's move on. Let, let, I don't know, man. When, when I hear this, these abol abolish the police people, whatever, I'm like, I I don't even think they believe it. I don't mm. even believe that they themselves believe it because you know if that person got in trouble or were right. attacked, who's the first person they're going to call? Of course, right? like yeah. it's like when you see, uh, yeah, you, yeah, it's like when, when you see even certain politicians, you know, talking about uh, whatever, you know, they're surrounded by armed guards. I saw this video of Gavin Newsom literally, right, you know, dissing the Second Amendment whilst <laughs> surrounded by at least five armed guards, and he's talking about you know how guns are this and this. I'm like, bro, you're surrounded by guns. Right, right now, if someone ran up on you, they would get shot by one of your arm. So I don't, I, I don't know. Like I just, it, it, it does get, it does get frustrating because it's just like there yeah. are. No, number one, I, I am truly, truly grateful um, and appreciative of how much progress has been made in the past century. In you know whether you're in the UK or you're in the USA, whatever, compared mm -hmm. to 1923, 2023, yeah. like we're we're as far as they're concerned, we're, we're already kind of in this utopia. Yeah. Um, but you know, there are a lot of the big problems have been solved. And I think it's important for people to have gratitude for that. But then with the things that still exist, it's like, these are solvable. If people want yeah. to be mature and, you know, put, put the emotion to the side, just kind of put the tribalism to the side and come to the table and talk about, you know, maybe you'll know, let's take, I don't know, take, take these five issues and let's, Let's talk about them seriously and bring together ideas from different sides of the table. And yeah, listen, actually, let, let's, let's do the, let's do the diversity and inclusion thing. Let's actually listen <laughs> right. to diverse viewpoints and diverse ideas and let's hear people's different experiences from different communities and so on. Let's, let's hear from the police officers. Let's hear the police officers totally. side of the story. What are, you don't think they're scared? Of course they're scared in some of these places, right? That's right. Really leading to some of the behavior. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of trust between the community and the, you know, and the state agents and so on. So I don't know, man. It's uh I I it frustrates me because I don't think it's um whilst I don't know all the solutions, I I I, I think I know the process to get to genuine solutions. And I'm just not seeing a lot of it. I think it's wonderful that more people are having these type of conversations and people are doing podcasts and the rise of independent media and all that. Yeah. And I'm like, where, where are the politicians? Where are the people who actually make the decisions? Where are like, they're the ones who should be involved in all this, right? right. Why wasn't, with all these issues, why wasn't Dr. Fauci on Joe Rogan? Mm. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like why, I, I mean, I know why, but those are the conversations that should all be happening if people are, you know, if people really, really want to solve some stuff. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I have another film called When in Doubt that I've been making for quite a while where I am just bringing people of opposing viewpoints, political or religious or whatever it is, together to talk, to have productive conversations, to see if they can talk through some of these issues, not necessarily to agree, but to understand the other person better, to understand why they believe what, what they believe, and then to make ideally some progress, at least in understanding, if not um you know, I, I use the word doubt in the title because to me, doubt is a key, it's it's a key concept when interacting with people who believe the total opposite of what you do. Because if we're all running around completely convinced of our own beliefs, our own ideologies, our own way of seeing the world, then we're going to miss a lot. And I mean, the only way for us to really get closer to the truth is to talk to people who we disagree with, not necessarily talk to people who are going to just insult us and derail the conversation. That's not useful. But people who are actually willing to have a conversation who are on the other side, it's extremely vital. That's obviously why free speech is vital. That's why John Stuart Mill said, you know, he who knows only his side of the case knows little of that. Because the only way that you can really know your own opinion and really have a good foundation for what you believe is to hear the best opposing argument against it. And we, yeah, we're definitely missing that a lot in society. And I think more that we can encourage that in the culture, uh, you know, at least my hope is that the more that that will spread out and then influence the way people vote and the way certain politicians want to appeal to, to people. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of a, an idealistic vision that I have of, of the world, but it's, I think it's, it's necessary to at least try to push for that yeah. and try to encourage those conversations. Yeah, I, I agree. Totally. I, I think, um, you know, beyond the rejection of the concept of personal responsibility, I, I, I mean, I think, a lot of the problems that we're now having, I would say, perhaps even that, I think it stems from this sort of like uh, permanent adolescence or this sort of infantilization of mm. adults. I think so many problems come from that. I, I see this, we're in this weird situation where in some ways adults are being treated like children and then in others, children are being treated like adults. And right. It's causing a lot of problems, right? Yeah. So all this over emotionality yeah. and people being triggered and, you know, I need a safe space and, oh, we can't, you know, we, I can't even have a conversation with someone who did, right? Like, oh, right. all of that stuff. I'm like, that's, it's really childish to me. Ultimately, yeah. it, it's, it's childish. It's like, if you're an adult, if you're 20 plus, let alone 30 plus, 40 plus years old, you should be able to have a conversation with someone who disagrees with you on certain things without throwing a fit, without insulting them, without right. resorting to straw manning and being super disingenuous or getting so triggered that you just like, you know, rage quit or what I'm like, what happened to stoicism or just self self-control? Right. I mean, I, I hear and see things I, I disagree with or that I might find offensive even or whatever every, every day. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's part of it. But I'm not here advocating, okay, every single thing that does not perfectly align with with my belief system must must be destroyed. And, and yeah. every, anyone who holds that view must, you know, we can't exist. Or if they do, I can't talk to them or I can't be friends. I, They're a Nazi. Yeah, it, yeah it's, 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 it's very exhausting. It's also... That, that's another part of it is, is, is it's, it's, it's exhausting. It's, um, yeah. it's not a fun, it's not a fun and pleasant way to live. When I see that's something that struck out actually, when I was watching uh, the woke reformation is I'm looking at all the people, I'm looking at all these activists. I'm like, none of these people are happy. 
Yeah. Uh, you, yeah. You, you see what I mean? I'm like, I, I'm totally. like, none of, none of these people are happy, happy, successful, grounded, right. well-rounded well emotionally. And I'm just like, this is just, it's almost like toddlers in adult bodies just screaming and the chanting and the repeating of phrases and the i'm just yeah. looking at it like this is weird it's almost like there's a spell that's been that's been cast upon people and they're yeah. just behaving in this very very bizarre very cultish way i know some people use um you know i compare it this whole stuff to to a religion sometimes but mm -hmm. more accurately it's like it's like the cultish sect of a religion Sure. In yeah. many of these cases, because most religious people are not that are 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 more open minded and more willing to discuss and defend right. the beliefs and even question. I mean, I'd say you know a big part of a big part of faith is actually if you're if you're a person of faith of a if you're a, uh, you know believe in a traditional religion, no one no one questions my religious faith more than I do, mm. right? As someone who has you know, I'm, I'm a Christian as someone who has religious beliefs and also is a critical thinker mm -hmm. and is a mature. Like I, I, I wrestle with certain things more than anyone else. So, it, so like if I can wrestle with it and if I'm there, you know, thinking about it from all these different angles, like what, right. of, of course I can have a conversation with someone else. And it's also just a degree of humility. You know, there are things yeah. that we do not know. And we are not a hundred percent sure of, and it's not possible that all eight billion people in the world are correct about everything. Despite the fact, <laughs> of course, we all think that we're correct. You wouldn't believe what you believe if you didn't think it was correct. Sure. Um, but there's just that degree of humility of saying, "Okay, look, this is what I believe. Here's why I believe it. Here's right. my line of thinking. I accept that I don't know. I, I don't know everything. Right? I don't know everything. And if people could just accept that, I mean, how are you? How would you even get to a, a stage where people think you need to, you know, attack or kill the non-believer when you yourself have enough humility to recognize, hey, like I'm, I know I'm not right about a hundred percent of everything. Like that's not, that's not even possible. Um, totally. So yeah. yeah, I think that would fix a lot. Yeah, I think you say, said the key words, I don't know. I mean, I think we should normalize that a lot more, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whether it's politics or religion or social or beliefs on you know social issues, whatever it is, like, yeah, we should be as well informed as we can be. Um, we should read and study and talk to people who disagree. But we should also realize that, like, some things are just really complex, especially with the way that you know the news comes through social media and just news in general is so often inaccurate and we find out later that it was based on lies and mm. i mean everyone just about knows this now so we, we should we should be more humble and we should be more willing to say well this is what i think at the moment but i don't you know i don't really know you know yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's hard to do at times, especially when there's a lot of emotion behind mm -hmm. what, what we're thinking about. If it's a social issue, something that we're passionate about, it, it can be really challenging to, to take that stance. And I think that's why more people don't, because it feels good to feel impassioned and, and, you know, even empowered to take a particular stance on a particular issue and to just drive forward with that issue, which, which is important. It's, it's important to do. Mm -hmm. It's also important to reflect and to think about how we know what we know and whether or not we really know it. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think that uh, allowing some doubt in our minds at times, I think is, is super crucial because again, that 
there's just no other way to get closer to the truth. We, we're a- always finding out more information, better information. Um, and the only way to do that is to be willing to revise our beliefs, be willing to say, well, I guess I could, I could be wrong about that. Let me update my beliefs now, <laughs> you know, and that's, uh, that's something that generally speaking, especially true woke believers are just not, not interested in entertaining. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I think you're so on point there. I, I think an, another part of it as well, and this you really see this on social media, and it's hard to not become a victim to, um, or or to fall into, especially if you're someone with a with a significant and growing platform, which is that it is much easier to only be um, attacked or confronted or criticized by the quote unquote other side mm. than your own. Friendly fire hurts yeah. a lot more. Friendly fire hurts a lot more, right? So if you're someone who is generally more this way leaning or more that way leaning or whatever it's a lot easier to just be hard line down down right. the way and to just stick to certain talking points and not ask certain questions or bring up certain positions or support certain positions that you may actually believe in right because you know if you're a look, if you're just like a right-wing conservative dude or gal and you know you just align you align you align yourself as a republican or with the conservative party in the uk or whatever whatever it may be it's a, it's you get used to dealing with stuff from the left right you right. get used to dealing with whatever they're going to criticize they're going to attack they're going to come at you whatever um but then you've got the backing of your tribe same with the flip sure, side totally. right if you, if you if you align yourself like totally with the left and you're you know vote blue no matter who whatever you can deal with attacks from the right and republicans and the criticism whatever you're used to that right. what hurts a lot more is oh you quote unquote step out of line with your tribe and now not only are you being attacked from the usual side now you're also getting attacked from the people who usually support you and generally agree with you what so i think so many people just want to avoid that at all costs. They're like, I can totally. deal with attacks from one side. I'm not trying to have people all over the aisle gunning at me. Uh, that's very sure. uncomfortable. And also in terms of uh, a support base, right? In terms of, especially if you're a pundit or you're someone who right. somehow has some uh, financial or career stake in some of these positions, totally. it's like, man, that that's that that's so dangerous so i think that ingrains people even further so there's not really a good incentive to be right. as uh let's say individually minded and critically thinking as perhaps you truly are it's a lot easier to just kind of play pick a team play totally. for that team attack the other team and do it with not much nuance in fact having nuance might get you punished yeah, no, I, I mean, I've felt that pull myself, you know, like in my my own platforms, I have a lot more, I, or definitely more conservatives that support me and, you know, on locals and that sort of thing. And, and I, those thoughts have entered my head, like, okay, well, should I, should I kind of play to that base more? And I'm thinking, well, no, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think I should, if, if I'm not being true myself, then why would I want to put something out there that I don't really believe in? or hide some part of myself. Um, I, I just think that's that's toxic and unhealthy. It's certainly, it's easier to do. And, and if, you know, there is a financial incentive. Well, if I say this thing, if I really jab the other side, then mm-hmm. I'm gonna get points. I'm gonna actually potentially make money. It's, it's so easy to fall into that trap. And I totally 
understand, you know, why some people do that. But I think that intellectual integrity and that kind of humility is extremely important. And it's important for me to be as genuine as I can be, um, you know, and not saying that I haven't sometimes fallen into that trap. I certainly have, but I, mm-hmm. I really try to um, just be honest about what I think, regardless of where it's going to fall. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. It's not, it's much easier to yeah. just stick to the tribe, know that they're going to have your back and, you know, yeah, it's, it's yeah. much easier. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It really is. Um, but in the long term, actually it's in the long term, I think it's more dangerous because you get, you get yeah. boxed in. And if you never, I, I often, <laughs> I don't even normally say this publicly, but I, I quite intentionally, um, make sure that once in a while I upset people who I know are generally in line with me, not (laughs) sort of, not in a way that I make something up that I don't really believe and say it, but like, I'll take one of my views, which is not, you know, strictly in line with the thing. I'll say, well, you know, I think, I think this, because I want to cultivate an audience that is genuinely tolerant. And I love the fact that I've actually been able to do this. I can go on Twitter at this point and say, pretty much like I can say anything. I, there's no belief I have that I couldn't say publicly. You know, I'll I'll get some pushback, I'll get some criticism, but I'm sure. not going to lo- I'm not going to lose uh, lose 10,000 followers, right? Yeah. I might I might lose like 10, right? Because <laughs> all those people who are just cannot tolerate a dissenting viewpoint, they've kind of already gone because I annoyed yeah. them a while back already. Uh, yeah. and I think long term that's the best way even to number one have have real integrity. But also, it protects you from cancellation. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people get canceled because they play to a certain crowd, especially if you if you really cater to the woke crowd. You right. had better not step out of line, man. Like if, right. if they if they catch you one thing, you like the wrong tweet. <laughs> you follow someone they don't like. That's how they watch like a hawk. It's right. crazy. Right. Um, and I know I know musicians in this situation. I know people in different places where they've really sort of played to that crowd, mm-hmm. and then they're kind of stuck now because they're like, man, dude, I don't even believe some of this stuff or actually, you know what? Like I'm not on board with this thing, but if I say it or or even if I don't say the opposite, I'm going to get people sort of looking at me askew or, you know, not wanting to work with me and this and that. And I don't know, I think in in a place where you're supposed to have freedom of speech and freedom of association and genuine liberty, I don't think that's a good way to live it day to day. Definitely not. No, I, th- I think we should normalize that kind of dissent. And, and I, I think you're right. I, th- I think that there are a lot of people out there that actually do appreciate that nuance and not necessarily play- playing to one side and appreciate when someone's just honest and say like, oh, this is, this is my opinion on this issue. And this is my opinion on this issue. Maybe it doesn't fall into the, the right leaning camp or the left leaning camp or whatever, but this is just how I'm thinking. And I'm doing my best to understand these issues in the best way I can. I do think that there are, are a lot of people that do appreciate that. And I think it, it's a matter of just kind of tapping into that audience of other genuine people who are like, oh, yeah, maybe I don't agree with this guy entirely, but I still like the general vibe or, you know, the general goals that this person has. And it sounds like you've been able to cultivate that. And I think I have to some degree as well. And um, it's nice. It's, a, you know, it's it's a different kind of tribe, I suppose. But at the same time, it's one that that allows for genuine differences of belief and differences of opinion. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, allows you to be more yourself. And I think that's definitely the best way forward because then you're not just speaking into these certain echo chambers that create bubbles and then separate us even further and, you know, don't allow for, for good communication. Um, so I think that's crucial. 
Absolutely. Travis, man, um, your, your docu-series is awesome. Are you, have you got more episodes coming? Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So I just released one on woke capitalism called Capitalism Reimagined uh, with Vivek Ramachwamy and Mark Pellegrino, the actor, and a few other people. Um, so that just came out. And then I've got one that I'm working on. I'm doing a lot because I also work for Peter Bogosian, also working on a film. <laughs> so I've got a lot of projects, but I do have another episode that I'm planning to, I'm pr- planning to tackle the trans issue, especially children transitioning, because I just think that's such a, I mean, it, it, it honestly makes my blood boil a bit, um, but I'm going to try to do my best to like be as e- even keeled as I can while tackling that <laughs> issue and like really hearing from from parents and different people who've gone through that issue. Um, but yeah, so that that I think is going to be my next one. Um, okay. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, man. Get the, get the Matt Walsh poker face on that one. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you need the killer poker face because yeah. that's one that uh, I'm a very, uh, very, very calm dude. But uh, yeah, that's one that, uh, that that's one that rightfully triggers me. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Totally. Awesome. Travis, congrats on your work. Good luck with everything that you're doing. Where can people find and follow you online? Thank you. And congrats to you too. Um, I, I would say locals, which is the woke reformation.locals.com. And you can check me out on YouTube at uh, become the signal. Awesome. Travis Brown, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a rain, click and I bang, y'all gonna remember the name. Y'all gonna remember the name. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.